Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of East West Rapcast. I am one of your hosts and my name is Greg and we're without Jeff this time around, but we're joined by a frequent guest, Mr. Ryan Hogan. How's it going, Ryan? It's going great, Greg. How you doing, man? Good, dude. Uh, glad to be back home from the GP, but still had a good time. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk about, I want to talk about your experiences at the GP because yesterday I recorded a pod with Jeff talking about okay. like my decks and kind of how it went for me. And I didn't really go in depth to like games or anything. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that with mm-hmm. you. Um, so since we both ended up with the same record, but because breakers are fair. Yeah. I walked home with 200 bucks in a pro point. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats on that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, no, that's awesome. Like, I'm super stoked for you. And thank you. Thank I was really bummed out the night of, like, I, it, I was kind of pissed off that I missed out on breakers, especially because I felt like I could have won at least one more match on day two. Yeah. Your, your second deck was a 3 0 deck. Or it could have been a 3 0 deck. It felt like, it, it felt like at least a 2 1 deck. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and your matches were close enough that with, you know, you, I hear you had two Mr. Ravens in your deck. I did. But they were probably in the sideboard or something like that. <laughs> you never drew them. Yeah, did, did, did not draw them very often. That's 20 for draw sure. steps, no Mr. Evans. Well, one of the games I lost to Jeff Cunningham, I drew both of them, and he killed both of them, like, immediately. Skilled no, magician. Yeah, he is a skilled magician. <laughs> but, um, like you said, we finished with the same record, but tell me about day one. Tell me about your sealed deck. Tell me... Good cards, bad cards, like, what What colors did you play? Uh, I played I played some colors similar to what a lot of people uh, were playing towards the uh, towards table one. Uh, Blue-green, uh, there's, no, there's no secret there that that's a, a good color combination when you have some of the right components. Uh, you know, I, I heard a lot of people had draft decks, or excuse me, sealed decks, where they didn't have a rare in it, but they had two Mist Ravens, <laughs> and <laughs> that got them, you know, good enough to get to day two. I did, uh, so I did blue, green, splash, black for double death wind. There was the option of splashing the homicidal seclusion as well, but my, the heavier theme of my deck was not, uh, flickering a raven or the two griffs that I had to do vanguards, so much as pairing, uh, peddlers and, uh, double peddlers with a tracker that I had, uh, a bunch of other soulbound creatures, uh, drew familiar to be, you know. To be extra aggro, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't thinking that my deck could in any way abuse the homicidal seclusion or after an aggro start or after some pairings, uh, be able to favorably get myself down to one guy without throwing away creatures at him. And with a deck that was full of full of value on enters the battlefield effects, on you know killing free creatures off the tracker, ramping free mana off of a, a sage, no one sage, which you know would be near impossible to get off the board for once I had homicidal seclusion because yeah, they're not going to block it. <laughs> I, um, T- yeah, wait, I, I, wait. Thought, I thought better of what's up. Tell me more about, uh, the cards in your deck. I mean, we're kind of glossing over a lot of them. You yeah, had, a, you had an yeah. Olvenwald tracker, yeah, which is uh, the, the green rare that allows you to make creatures fight. Yes. Yes. It's the, it's the prey upon on a stake. It's the fight. And with double peddlers and a bunch of sizable guys, Along with, uh, like I said, double grip vanguards, mist ravens, uh, see a track or a, excuse me, not a guide, a borderland ranger, mm-hmm. uh, the verse claw, which is just the best, <laughs> seven seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He nothing he fights ate with everything. That. Yeah. Okay. 
And, but you also had uh, the sage. What's what's this? The first word? Yeah, in the card? Somberwald. Somberwald sage. sage. That so that's thing. the the three mana. Oh one, where you get a tap for three mana of any one color, and it can only be used to cast creatures. And I know some people have uh, sometimes been hesitant to play it, depending on the creature count of their deck. I was or skeptical. The lower the lower the curve that they have, where they felt like uh, if they're trying to be aggressive and they don't have as much to ramp into. Uh, that the extra mana might be only beneficial on on the next turn to play two creatures out or the like, and then that extra mana from every turn subsequently was going to be was going to be worthless. But I shifted my deck to have a little bit of a higher curve. Well, obviously with the double grips, the burst claw, a pathbreaker worm, and a geist trappers as well, uh, rounding out the five to the six drop spots. So there were some there were plenty of opportunities for me to ramp into someone, something giant the next turn, get some value off it, and then play double creatures the next turn. And those draws were pretty much any any game where I had that guy turn three and it wasn't killed immediately, I won. And it was just... And it was a stomping, too. Just like when people curve into a druid familiar on turn four, and then all of a sudden their guys are just too big for you to block with a single creature. Except with your deck, you'd be curving into a, a druid familiar and a three-drop. Yeah, or, and a two drop, which yeah. is even more which devastating. Very common. You know, like I, yeah, we played a lot of practice games. I saw you do that to me a ton. There was one practice game I remember in particular where you led with the Olvenwald Tracker on turn one or two, and then on turn three you played the 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 Sage, and I had a a Guise of Fire or something like that in my hand, something that could deal one damage essentially. Yeah, and man. Didn't. I felt like I couldn't win. Like, there was, like, like didn't matter which one I killed. I, I chose the Sage, and then you're like, later after the game, you're like, yeah, that was the right call. Yeah. Like, because I was as about I, to go ape shit the, a, next, a, yeah. the next hand. <laughs> the blue creature hand. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah, that card Wouldn't seems pretty out. busted. I was skeptical of that one at first, but after I saw you play it in a bunch of different games, I mm-hmm. was definitely kind of keen to the power level of that card. Yeah. Um, now, and I had, I mean, I had just given the example of, Something you know, like the gold fishing draw, where you're just playing that turn three, you're playing a giant dude, and the other guys can have a very hard time to favorably interact. In the sealed format, there's very few people towards the tops, and very few people that I face that played white. So uh, just landing a giant dude and having it be defanged was really uncommon. What was more common was a lot of people playing blue, playing blue because they had multiple mist ravens. Peels. And, and peels and the like. And it was some insulation against the bounce, where you mm-hmm. it's just not as backbreaking if they bounce your big guy and you have to waste a whole other turn playing it and they've walked you. And in this case, it was really common for them to, or my guys to be bounced. And with the Sage out, I was still replaying the guy and playing a spell and advancing my board again. So Yeah, that seems really strong. Um, now, we haven't mentioned one of the cards in your deck. Now, every time you would draw a card with this particular sealed deck, tell me what you want. <laughs> revenge of the Wrath of Win the Game. <laughs> I want revenge! I'm mad! I'm mad! James Brown. Oh, man. Yeah, that, which was uh, the theme of the weekend. That was the running joke of the weekend, was was how much we wanted revenge. and revenge. Yeah, the big payback. Man, that card yeah. was dirty every time you cast it. Yeah. Like, and you never, you don't need to miracle that card. Like you can hard cast it and just still just wreck people. Mm-hmm. Like that card is stupid. Yeah, that was. Um, I'm trying to remember if I lost any game where I played that card. 
And not to sound like a douche, I, I didn't lose many games. The pool was insane, and I had three buys, so mm-hmm. the amount of games I played was, of course, lessened. Yeah, I, I don't think there was one game where I lost where I played that, because every time I played it, it ate a dude or two, or was the finishing damage on a Latch Seeker, or the like. Or the wolf, just, yeah, the wandering yeah. wolf. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Actually, scratch that, I did... Uh, so I misplayed it once. Greg, saw, was, you were there for this. I saw that. Where there was, there was three guys on the table, and I, uh, I managed to, s- basically the only, uh, the only card the opponent could have that would, not beat me, but, but would be an answer to my threat was Peel from Reality. He S- had, he, he had a blue turn, and, uh, or I think he just had two blue up. I think he actually tapped his Monorong as it was, and this was round six. He was a blue-red player? He was blue-green. Blue, blue, oh, he was blue-green. So, yeah, if he didn't leave up green, then you didn't have to worry about terrifying presence. Yes. Yes, exactly. Which might have got me later in the uh, Yeah, the tur- ter- terrifying presence got you moment. later. But that was day two. Yeah. Um, that was a little bit of hubris and a little bit of mental fatigue. For sure. And, uh, and that gets to you. Yeah, which is which is something that's... I know, uh, for anyone that hasn't had three buys before, it's a great fucking feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you just, so much of the, so much of the variance has already been chopped off. So much of the fatigue, just to go on the, the mental fatigue alone of sitting indoors in a giant convention center and having to think and think very hard. Well, as hard as you might need to think in, in absent restored <laughs> sealed format. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but for, yeah. Yeah, for the better part of 10 hours is taxing as all hell. I mean, I've had to, I think we've all played a GP at one point in time in our careers, even even the pros have, of course, where you didn't have three buys, and you just had to run the full tourney. Mm-hmm. And I saw the guys that didn't have buys at the end of the tournament. They were frazzled as fuck. I mean, I played I played Jeremy Schofield, the guy who uh, uh, exo Undefeated, yeah. Yeah, exo'd the... Uh, all 15 uh, rounds is before the top eight. The top eight yeah. yeah. Yeah, I played him in the last the last match of uh, of day one, and I mean he didn't look none the worse for wear because he was dressed in a suit. He, he was dressed to the he nines. was looking the dapper week. the whole exactly. weekend. Like he looked good. Yeah, but yeah, it's crazy to me that that guy had as many wins as possible through a GP without winning it. Isn't that weird? Like Cause he lost he lost in the finals. It was the it was the finals, right? Right. I'm pretty sure he lost yes. the finals, but yes. man, You're that right. is rough. Like to just have that many. He was undefeated until the finals. Mm-hmm. Like man, that would have been one for the ages if he pulled it off. But I mean, it's still very impressive. Like he had a he had a great run. He was the only guy who beat you on day one, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. That was the the last match of the day, and we had uh, we had pretty similar decks. It was blue green versus blue green, and a couple mulligans. Actually, the first game there was a mulligan, and. Uh, I was none the worse for wear because <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the other games he uh, he went familiar into Mist Raven, and uh, that draw alone was a little a little difficult for me to catch up to without my own, mm-hmm. without a well Revenge of the Fallen pretty much Revenge uh, of the Hunted, Revenge right. of the Hunt, yeah, yeah, the Hunted. He had exactly. a Wolfier Silverheart in his deck as well, right? I didn't see it, but, but he did have it. Uh, I think. It makes sense. He had every other good rare okay. <laughs> the entire weekend. It was a uh, Actually, if if anyone can get the chance to see his second draft deck of uh, oh. before the top eight, woof, yeah, woof indeed. <laughs> so, Wolf Silverheart, Silverblade Paladin, um, entreat the angels. Yep, 
what were the other ones? He had a tracker. He had basically every white green rare possible. Uh, I think he had five, five in total, and all just top tier cards. And uh, I had a Fettergeist, so <laughs> you know I might have one two, and he might have three outed. Yeah. Um, no, that guy, that guy ripped well. I mean, he played. He obviously played very well, and there's nothing in all the games I played against him that made me think that uh, he was just luck sacking his way into it. You know, I might have been guilty of that on more than one occasion, especially against Conley Woods. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but no, cheers to him. Congrats. He was an incredibly nice guy. He said he drafted the format was twice before the uh, before the GP. So him and his friends went home and uh, rattled off some drafts online with some packs to. Uh, Get a sense of the format. So, uh, you know, yeah, I it had takes the, him about one night <laughs> to get the format. I had the chance to chat with him a little bit, like just real briefly, and yeah, he was just saying he did not play the format much before the GP, mm-hmm. which made his run even all that more impressive, so yeah. that was cool. Um, anyway, I want to get back to Revenge of the Hunted a little bit, and we discussed this while we were at the GP. Mm-hmm. I talked about what is the one rare you want to open or I want to play the most in a seal in that sealed format. Rare like, or mythic, right? Rare or mythic. Rare or mythic. And I kind of threw out like or we might have even just said which miracle was the best. Would you rather have Entreat the Angels, Bonfire, or Revenge? Yeah. And I think it got narrowed down pretty well to those in Silver Hearts, which I saw at all the top tables, which are just so mm. near impossible to deal with. Yeah, Jeff and I talked about that yesterday, how like he even said that he might take that over all these cards. So I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Just the uh, the bonfire seems like the safer pick because splashable. Yes, yes, splashable and um, splashable removal, a bomb in its own right, of course, and uh, reach. You know, like it reach, hits the hits reach. the face too. Like the uh, Jeff's argument against it was that if you don't miracle it, it's not nearly as good on the hard cast as all mm-hmm. of the other cards. I mean, I think it's probably just as good as entreat the angels on the hard cast, and probably which is better which, still. Which is fair, because everyone at the top table seemed to have... Everyone that was playing green had a Druid Familiar or a Silver Heart, mm-hmm. or some combination of these cards, or, you know, probably three Silver Hearts, knowing Shelf Wield. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so the uh, the Unmiracle Bonfire just may not be as good. But... Which makes me think that, you know, the Revenge, although much riskier, won just as many games, Miracled or otherwise. I mean, the... Uh, the Revenge for six, as opposed to the Bonfire for, let's say, seven. Yeah. That does, there's three, right? So three to all so. that, all that player's creatures and... Sometimes it's just not enough. That's so true. The, Anything with four toughness is going to survive that, and that's often the creatures you're facing in, in the later rounds of mm-hmm, the sealed deck. Mm-hmm. Jeff and I also talked about how just the fact that the Silver Heart and the Revenge, and we actually didn't talk about Revenge, it kind of slipped my mind yesterday, but the fact that they're green and green is kind of the color you want to be playing, yes. like, it's no coincidence that the three undefeated day one decks all had green in them. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think they all had blue in them as well. Oh no, they all, no, that's right. There's a green-white deck, uh, a green-white-splash-blue, and just Jeremy's straight-up Green blue deck. Yeah, he has the uh, silver heart, right? He did. He did have the this. silver heart. Okay. Uh, oh, so I got lucky to not see it. Yeah, you did. I mean, <laughs> he could have beat you down all that much worse, you know. In retrospect, he had a pretty bad draw against me. <laughs> God, look at this deck. That's insane. Of course, we can't describe it on air, but no. I mean, I mean, you can see these decks on the wizard's site. Like they're mm-hmm. all up there. You just gotta hunt them down. Yeah. Um, all right. So 
You lost to Jeremy in round nine round on nine. day one. So you were 8-0 going into the last round on day day one. 8-0, half asleep. Yeah. And, I mean, you had yeah. you had three buys and you were still pretty tired. I mean, we woke your ass up in the hotel room when we left to <laughs> get there for round one. Exactly. But, exactly. Um, I'm, a, I'm a cheapskate, and they had the, the sleep-in special. But mm-hmm. when you're in a room with four other guys, like, <laughs> I don't know what my chances were to, to get back to bed or sleep through you know, yeah. I an mean, hour of people getting ready in the morning. That's right. But, um, so did losing that match at the end of day one, did that make it, did you feel like relieved that you weren't like, you weren't under pressure to go like XO the whole way? Or did you feel like bummed out because you like wanted to go XO? No, no, no. I mean, not, not relieved at all. The only relief came from just just having the day being over. And I was already, and I was already content at, uh, making seven. I I shouldn't say content because I think when you get to, to that level in order to succeed, in order to be one of the best. You just need to, you need to never be, uh, accepting of anything but being, you want to keep, you, you want to keep winning. Be, yes. You want to have the, the LSV perfect in the Swiss or the, mm-hmm. the show field now. Perfect yes, until the finals. Damn. So, so no, I was, I was, uh, more relaxed, but actually my, my toughest match was in round eight. I mean, the toughest, the toughest decisions I had to make were in round eight mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm trying to remember the opponent's name off the top of my head and can't recall. And I believe he is a, been on the pro tour, but I'm sure we could uh, figure that out with a little research. Yeah, let's not worry at about any rate, it. Um, no, not relieved at all. I would have been much happier because I had the uh, I had the highest breakers of all the the eight ones. So, so I you been, were yeah. I would have been you know number one on the day. In which case, that would have been uh, really sweet. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't have felt the pressure because. I mean, the pressure for me is never about how I succeed, but I just, my preference is to never be on camera. I like the idea of being unknown. I don't like, yeah, I'm just, uh, I just don't like the scrutiny. I still hold my hand like a poker player and try and, you know, just fan out the little parts of the cards while it's on the table. And I rewatched the coverage of your one feature match and I saw you doing that, whereas, uh, Rietzel was very... Nice about kind of fanning his cards out for the camera above to kind of get a glimpse of at least part of what he was holding. And, like, meanwhile, Ryan's sitting on the other side of the table, like, holding his cards, like, real close to the bottom of the table, face down, and kind of just peeking at him. And, like, I, I thought that was funny. I, and, and I could see the the poker player and you doing that. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, let's move on to day two. Okay. So, day two, get to draft. Mm-hmm. That That is pretty sweet. I mean, absolutely drafting this format is not the best, but it's probably... It's probably the second worst to Zendikar. <laughs> I mean, but, so like, not the worst. drafting anything is probably better than sealed of anything, right? You feel like you have a little bit more control over what you're doing to an extent, maybe? Yeah, yeah, to an extent. Like, to it's not extent, dependent upon uh, what you open, necessarily? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know, uh, and I think any, any, <clears throat> any pro will uh, choose a draft over a sealed any day. You just someone competitive you want to any if you feel you're better than other people you want to control your own fate of course and at least the draft gives you that to an extent and i think seal gets more of a bad rap for being uh dependent on what you open luck dependent mm-hmm. than it probably should just having looked around at some of the decks my friends built and what other people built and being fairly 
fairly certain, 99% certain, that they had misbuilt it either on their mana base or by not including a card over another one. Or just picking the wrong color altogether in some cases. Or just something something that bad, which I think we've all been guilty of at some point in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially especially in uh, maybe more unknown formats at the beginning of of a set's release. It was easier to pick the wrong color. Just thinking back to uh, previous GPs, like San Diego, mm-hmm. where I I should have been in green. Admittedly, I should have I should have been in green, and I should have been aggro, and I would control because that was what I felt like I would have a better chance with, what I was more familiar with. I remember that GP in particular after day one. Most of us did not make the cut. I think all of us did not make the cut to day two. Yeah, I mean there wasn't too many people there, and. Well, I just mean like of our the people we traveled there with, there were four yeah, was, or five of us, and none, bad of, none of us made the cut. And then after the after the tourney, we went back to the hotel room and kind of re looked at everyone's sealed pool and no one. And we kind of as a team discussed like what the correct build of a lot of the pools were. And I remember specifically that like none of us got it right yeah. that first time around. Uh, con- think- contrast that to this GP last weekend, where your deck I think was spot on. I Thank think you. my deck, I don't think I could have built it any other way um, and had it and, and finished to the same, like, excellent result, you know, 8-1. Yeah. which is all the more impressive because you had to, you know, do it the hard way. Yeah, I didn't have any buys, but at the same time, like, my deck really was one of those decks that just is kind of built to go X1 or whatever. Like, to, to, like the deck carried me as much as I carried it. I mean, I, I did have to play it, and I, may, and I played pretty well on day one, but, yeah, I, I think that the power level of the cards in my deck was very high relative to a lot of the other pools. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. therefore, and this gets back to the fact that, like, when you're drafting, that's not an issue, necessarily. I mean, yeah, you can open a Bonfire of the Damned or Revenge of the Hunted or an Entreat the Angels, and that helps you in having, like, a more powerful deck than your opponent. But just because you get to first pick and Entreat the Angels doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a good white deck in like by the time the draft is over. You still have to draft accordingly, and maybe that's a card you don't even play, you know? But with that said, like, what was your... Did you have a plan going into the first draft pod? Um, I was, I was of course, open to what I... Open to what I was going to open, I guess you'd say. Just like, just like anyone. So, the plan was not so much a plan as a preference. And I know you and I had debated what you thought... Uh, what you thought people's mentality would be at the top tables, whether they're trying to draft the the popular colors, you know, green first, green blue, you know, uh, red in there, and then white black is the last ones. Yeah, and specifically um, like the popular archetypes, like blue green, like red white humans. Yeah, like where we were, we were. I was asking you like if you thought that any of those decks would be overdrafted, and then like what the psychology behind that was like yeah, if everybody knows the blue green is the best deck are people going to avoid it because they're afraid it's going to be overdrafted or are they just going to go for it uh from what i witnessed uh green was i didn't see a green card in in actually both my drafts um but that's that's an aside i would have preferred to draft green and that showed up in my willingness uh pack two where i i was mono red at this point <laughs> <laughs> and the only red card in the pack was scalding devil and the only green card was Trusty Force Mage, or, uh... Trusted Force Trusted Mage. Trusted Force Mage, yeah. Or whatever that card's called. <laughs> so, so I mean, I'm I'm not going to take the Scalding Devil right here. Uh, this is pretty typical of what I opened throughout the draft. But, um, I had I had a Death Wind at the time, and there was one other... I think there was a, a Blood Artist, which probably would have been the right pick. 
Okay. Just given that a death wind, and that would have sent me more towards uh more towards the deck that I should have built, which was red with a black splash, and it would have had and very aggressive, right? Oh, highly aggressive. I mean, Cathar's up the wax. <laughs> aggressive. It was a uh, yeah. That's that's a whole. Other we'll thing. we'll talk about the deck in a second. I, but yeah, so but you yeah, I, going I, into I the draft, the, I you take just... the Force Mage pack too, because of course, you know, we all know that green is amazing. What cards you want to have in your aggressive deck, mm-hmm. and it didn't take much. I, I didn't have to see a green card the first pack, and I thought that a Force Mage. Maybe get lucky enough to get a familiar second pick. I had a uh, Connolly Woods was to my left, and if he wasn't in blue, then I don't know what the fuck was going on. Of course, he turned out to be in blue. Yeah, and uh, he ended up getting the black that all the black I was hesitant about uh, taking and passed to him. He jumped on. So mm-hmm. anyway, I thought that maybe I'd be able to round out a few green cards out of pack uh, pack two, maybe get a one, one or two guys out of pack three and have the red green. Anyway, this being said. I was familiar with drafting mono red. I was familiar enough with strength, what cards that I would want to have and what the pick order is, that that was my preference. And when it came down to, very early on, just taking um, a fervent Cathar ringleader over another good creature, it was always the red card, the red card. And then even if, uh, when blue started to flow from my right, uh, it was clearly it was clearly going to be open, there was always a red card in there that just kept me in it. And, uh, well, you stayed on target. And I mean, sometimes yeah. that's the right call, and sometimes that's not the right call. And it's hard to know while you're in the draft. Most of the time, you don't really figure it out until pack which, three, yeah, which it, sucks, but that's yeah. just kind of how it is. Which which might have been the case that I should have uh, that should have not stayed on target. My experience with the format is that the, the last few cards that you usually draft are just a bunch of crap. I shouldn't say the last few cards you draft, but 20 through. Your twenty third card or twenty fourth, the last twenty second, the last four or five picks in most packs are usually pretty bad. Yeah, or about the last eight or <laughs> nine or ten because <laughs> all the cards are fucking garbage. Yeah, but um, yeah, right. my, uh, I I might have had an unnecessary paranoia about being lacking on playables, and that's something that comes to me even more so when I feel like I'm not going to play green and don't have the option to have a ranger and abundant growth or some combination of those guys with the vessel mm-hmm. and be able to play three colors to round out my playables. And, uh, so just aren't, there just weren't that many cards and there just aren't that many cards when I don't have green and I'm base red that I actually want to take. And, uh, I mean, I could have taken some, some throbbing valiance or, you know, this inquisitor here and there just to round out some white two drops to help out with the curve. But, each time those came around, it just there was a decent enough red card that I wasn't going to start to give up playables to get into another color. So I pigeonholed myself into mono red, and and then you end up with the deck with a couple dangerous wagers, and a couple uncanny speeds. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, tell me more about the deck. You you said you had some some fervent Cathars. How yeah. many how many did you have? I had five. I know the answer to all these questions. <laughs> all right. Because we actually had the. The luck of sitting across from each other when we had to register each other's decks. There was a, a mix up on the stamping of the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, in the top eights or in the day twos of GPs and Pro Tours and whatnot, the um, the product gets the product gets opened, opened and stamped. They replace yeah, all the foils, foils removed, cards stamped. So we had to register each other's decks. I sat across from Greg, so he saw the. <laughs> I was. He's like, kind of chuckling under my breath the whole time. And I'm I'm looking at f- how many Somberwald Vigilantes? Four of those? Uh, three Vigilantes. Three Vigilantes. Two Ringleaders. Two Thatcher's Revolts. 
five Cathars. Uh, five two, Cathars. Two Maulers. The My first pick was a Falcon Wrath Exterminator in a blank pack. It was Exterminator yeah. or... God, it was something... It was it was garbage. I mean, there there wasn't a removal spell in the pack. Hmm. The rare was garbage. It was... Yeah, Sounds it was, a lot like my opening pack. It was the pack. lucky Exterminator draw that you could get. And especially if you get enough... Uh, you get enough Cathars, you get a free hit off it on turn three in yeah. most cases. And that alone is sometimes enough, just getting that one hit in there in certain so, matchups. So you also had Dangerous Wager in the deck. <laughs> How many copies? Uh, a dangerous amount. Two? Uh, two. I mean, w- one is risky. Two <laughs> Hong is, Kong Danger two Duo. Is absolutely dangerous. Because, I mean, you, sometimes oh. you just have that terrible draw where you get two of them and you just feel like a complete jackass. But yeah. I rounded out a couple profits, and usually I felt like, so wait, how many mad profits? Two profits. Oh, I thought you had three for some reason. I ju- yeah, just two profits. Okay. So, th- so those make a... the the crappier cards a little more palatable in the sense that if you draw a dangerous wager when you don't want to cast it, if you have a mad profit, you can always pitch it to that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. And um, and R- most of my spells wanted were just cards that you're throwing at them. The only yeah. card that I usually wanted to bag was a uh, a Thatcher's Revolt if I didn't have a ringleader. Everything else I felt very good about just regurgitating onto the table. So mm-hmm. in that mono red deck, it's usually pretty easy to unload your hand. And then around turn five, you or turn four, sometimes you just wager away a land and draw two and draw two. Okay. And uh, I, I think the card is I think the card is bad. I think the card should wheel, but there is an application for it depending on your curve. And my curve was. I just had this random Raging Poltergeist just dangling off on the side. I was going to say, Raging Poltergeist made an appearance, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, un- Uncanny is... Speed made an appearance? Uh, two made an appearance. Two and Uncanny Speeds. If uh, if you're hearing this right now, uh, <laughs> and you haven't read Connolly Wood's GP report, which he'll surely write, he will talk about some kid who just pulled the donkest thing <laughs> <laughs> ever, which was... No, wait, yeah, who, who, who was this kid, Ryan? <laughs> Might have been uh, some red-haired kid. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so so let me ask you this. Did you ever get to cast two uncanny speeds on the same creature in one turn? <laughs> yes, sir. Did you did you win that game? Yes. Did you win on that turn? Off the top deck, second uncanny speed? Yes. On the Somberwall Vigilante. <laughs> on so- this was, on uh, Somberwall Vigilante, no less. This was, uh, this is after, this is game one against Conley. I'd won my, I'd won my first round against... Um, or I'd won my first match against uh, a guy that made the top eights. Um, and game one against Connolly, he had uh, stalled me out a little bit with uh, a Fettergeist and a series of uh, guys with butts. <laughs> and had just started to beat in with the Fettergeist and the Searchlight, decided that he wanted to prevent some reach. I got him down to eight, and um, he'd stalled me out quite a bit. So I'm thinking I might even need to to stock up on a grip of fervent Cathars, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is possible when you have some. Yeah, when you have you know, five of them. It's... Cathars and Thatchers, or some combination of these hasty guys to just explode on in one turn, and that okay. was going to be my last chance, because uh, the deck had the the lovely characteristic of not having removal spells, because yeah. as it turns out, uh, the guy to my right had opened a, a Thunderous Wrath and had been passed um, some red from his right, and he just took all the removal spells while I got all the, the Cathars. Anyway, gotcha. not a big deal when you have as many Cathars as you do, but, uh, or as I did. So you're looking at a board where you have a Vigilante, what else, a Ringleader, I'm I assuming? have a Vigilante, a Ringleader, and a Leftover Cathar from a Swing earlier. So, okay. And he has, um, 
He was a Conley was blue black control. He had a Fetter Geist and the black two one black guys searchlight geist or yeah whatever. the flyer yeah yeah so he's gone from swinging in with uh, the two one to swing in with both him and the Fetter Geist. He has me down to I believe four and um, so there's nothing I can there's nothing I can top deck to get rid of his flyers and I can't block him. So I do need to win that turn and I've bagged an uncanny speed from from earlier and uh, he's at eight. I have these three guys on the board. He uh, leaves back two blockers, swings with his two flyers. I basically just need to rip a second uncanny speed, which <laughs> pretty sure I was around. And yeah, that was this one twenty something. It's the only uncanny speed left in your deck, right? It, it's, it's not it's like the, you're running four copies. Yeah, or because anything. I don't even because my deck's that good. I don't even have a thunderbolt. Yeah. I don't but have a thunderous rat. To, I don't to have... be fair, if you draw another fervent cathar, that would also would have won you the game, correct? Uh. Yes. Because you could have made one of his guys not be able to block, so then you would have had... Maybe to... had an Elkod shieldmate and another guy who was not paired with the shieldmate back. I believe the shieldmate was paired with the Fettergeist, and... Okay, so he had one guy that you could target with the Cathars come into play ability, or enters the battlefield ability, yes. excuse me. Yes, And so then you would have got in with two 3-1 Cathars, a 3-2 a three two ringleader, and yeah. a 2-1... It, it would have represented the three damage that I needed. Him being at eight... Gotcha. I was going to be able to, you know, as it turns out, uh, off the ringleader pump, the uh, vigilante was going to be a two one, and then he being the only unblocked guy, double uncanny speed. Oh boy, for the for exaxes, for exaxes, man, it was, and that was game was that was game one against Conley. That was game one against Conley. So okay. this is the first time I've played Conley in real life, and I'm sitting next to Sam Black, and. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Lee's standing behind me along with some other pros. So They're this probably is, all just shaking their head. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the derp that beat Conley exactly. with double uncanny speed on his dirtily 1-1. And I figure if you're going to beat anyone with something that ridiculous, you should beat Conley. Yeah, you should beat a, a pro player, at least. Yeah, or I a mean, pro player that appreciates something you know, ridiculous. Kind of silly, yeah. Appreciates right. some unplayable cards here and there. So, games two, games three, <laughs> did you get there? I did not get there. Conley, uh... Conley got the next two on me. Uh, Shieldmate turned out to be the bane of my existence, mm-hmm. and um, just because you yeah, couldn't just get the your ca- Cathars, the Cathars couldn't do anything. Like this, just the Shieldmate alone, with uh, one other guy that had any sort of any sort of toughness. When he had homicidal seclusion in his deck as well, uh, that draft he did, but and that I, card it, seems pretty good against you as well, um, to an extent. No, no, the second draft he definitely did. Oh, uh, he, didn't first draft, he didn't. I don't believe he did. If he if he did have it. I didn't see it. The second okay. draft, he had a black-white deck. Right. I, okay, I, just ran me over. I got mixed up. Um, all right, so you lose to Conley in the second round of the first draft, and in the third round... Third round, I play, uh, actually, a friend of a friend of Jeremy's, who I'd uh, spoken to day one, and uh, nice guy, Eric. Uh, can't remember his last name, but... Okay. Uh, really nice guy. Uh, he, had, he had a red-green deck, and... I get him once again. I get him game one because my deck's pretty good when it wins no, a die no roll. <laughs> no one suspects the ridiculous red deck. No, ridiculous, ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, yeah, made a uh, made a bad swing where I was um, basically just forgot the terrifying presence existed and thought I just had this one in the bag. Yeah, I and saw that, that, was, game. that was a, a punt to end all punts because I had. A, I didn't even need to swing with these extra guys as it was. I, you know, yeah. Pillars of Sorcery, 
None of my guys are flying. Thunderbolt can't get me. He's got a red and a green. And one blocker, one mad prophet that he just played and left back to block. But, yeah, as it was, he, he did have the terrifying presence. My uh, Thatcher's Revolt ringleader, Prophet Cathar Swing, was more than enough to do it in any other case. Now, I, I, I don't want to, like make you dwell on this a lot because we dwelled on it a lot that day. Like I'll dwell on it for the next like until I know. the next GP, until the next big event. But I kinda just want to talk about that card in general, terrifying presence. Yeah. Like I saw that card played in a lot more decks on day one than I would have suspected. Mm-hmm. Uh I talked about Narstad Scrapper being another card like that, the artifact creature, but Terrifying Presence was a little more surprising to me because it's not like a body it is a trick, but it's not like I don't consider it a good card necessarily, but do you feel like there's some merit to playing kind of quote-unquote bad cards like that at a GP or a higher level event just because people expect them less? Um, because, I mean, it blew you out that game, and I saw it blow some other people out on day one. Like, it seems like a pretty good, I mean, or not good, but a reasonable thing to do if you're trying to outplay people, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. And I wouldn't say that I was I was expecting it less because I thought it was a bad card. I mean, in in this case, it was simply a case of fatigue going through cards and just rushing out of play. And I'm sure if I'd taken another 15 seconds, uh, plenty of time left on the clock, I could have figured it out. I mean, the game was going to end on the next couple on turns. On your one, turn or on his turn. Yeah, right. my turn, his turn, or my next turn, I was going to get him one way or another. And I should have taken the extra time. So that was that was just a bad play. That was just a complete brain fart. I never thought it was never thought it was a bad card. Just in my in my decks, I usually if I was going to choose between certain spells, one would be I would always take the very the much more aggressive card. And especially with all the green decks I've been able to draft, I've been lucky enough to be more aggressive outside of my sealed deck, which was which was more controlling. Dru- sure. Druid familiar, awesome Mist Raven draws. Aside. Yeah, right. Um, so no, I don't feel like. I don't feel like at this point people are unaware of the card. I think I'm actually the only person. <laughs> but but no, there were that I actually I think that was the only trick that I really saw blow people out. There was plenty of swings where people were going all in and the presence was exactly what the opponent needed to have. It was literally the only card he could have had to beat you that game that turn also. Yeah. Um yeah, it, it was. It was, and I I hate to say it, like I was watching this game from over your shoulder, and I saw the mana he had untapped, which was a mountain and a forest, and I saw you debate, like like I saw you hesitate on whether or not to attack with your last dude, which was yeah. I think a mad prophet, and I'm like, don't do it. You don't need to do it. Don't do it. It's not necessary. And then, sure enough, you're like, ah, eh, why not? Turn it sideways. And like in my mind, I just groan, and I'm like, oh no, I hope he doesn't have it. And of course he does. Like, yeah. It's, I don't know, it felt it Which felt is, pretty bad. But, I got my comeuppance. I, yeah. I definitely got my comeuppance. But, but I don't know. But, so that's that's tough luck. So you finished the first draft 1-2. Yeah, which was which was disappointing, because I know I could have built, built the deck a little bit better. What I should have done is just splash my one death win. And there's no question about it in retrospect. Well, you also I had should... some other black cards that I thought could have got in there, too. You yeah. had a Bloodflow Connoisseur and a, and a Human Frailty. Yeah, and I'm usually, actually, in this... In this deck, I don't always like to have Human Frailty main. Um, mm-hmm. In Sealed, I would have felt much better about it. But in the draft, just to have a 
I mean, then again, I'm playing wagers, so I'm not opposed to dead cards in my hand. And you talked about how little removal you had, so I, yeah, I, it surprised me that you didn't just throw in six swamps and those three cards. Mm-hmm. When, which would have been... Which... Some combination of those black cards would have been correct to toss in. The Connoisseur was was definitely a, a step up from... Raging Poltergeist, probably. Was the Poltergeist, yeah. Yeah, and just to get some more value off the Thatchers, which ended up sitting in my hand or just a little too much. any dead creatures that are on board, and, yeah, like yeah. a... Vigilante doesn't vigilante. make much to be dead. Yeah. Right. It was basically in draws where I didn't have a ringleader to make my vigilante worthwhile, or he's already done his done his duty, mm-hmm. or I don't have a uh, or I don't have a ringleader for the Thatchers or something of the sort. Yeah, the Connoisseur was definitely definitely the right call. So, so you're you're a little disappointed after this match, but you get to draft again, and you mm-hmm. have to win. You, I th- I think at this point we figured out that if we wanted to make top eight, we had to three zero our draft. Yes, yeah, we were in different pods. And um, we were yeah, we we were in different pods, same record, uh, different pods on breakers, and I end up back in a pod with uh, Connolly, Rietzel, uh Eric, the same guy who just had terrifying presence to me in the last draft, mm-hmm. and uh, and five other guys or four other guys, and uh, so, so yeah, I'm going into it, and I'm thinking that. I still want to draft green because you should want to draft green. You should just try and exert your will if you can uh, draft the deck that you think is best or people know is best. Sure. So if I if I'd opened up the Force Mage, I would have taken it. That was if I'd opened up maybe a Timberland Guide or no, excuse me, not Timberland Guide, Wandering Wolf, a, a Ranger. Oh, Borderland Ranger. And it was there was a slightly better card in another color that wasn't a good removal spell. Then I would have just taken the Ranger. I was I was very willing to draft green again. So of course I opened up uh, a bunch of poo. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a bunch of poo. It was Fettergeist and Heirs of Stromkirk, which are the two best cards. And then it dropped off to I don't know, maybe like Scroll Grizzlebrand is the next <laughs> best card. It That's was rough. Just, it was just garbage. So uh, so yeah, I took the uh, I took the Fettergeist of I shouldn't say of course because I have my preferences towards red and maybe if I was feeling I think that's like just drafting r- preference. I would have done that, but I, uh, the better guys is a much. That's the correct pick over Heirs of Stromkirk. I think. Yeah, it's a a Jackie Lee, right? Or not? Just not Jackie Lee. Um, one of the other female magic players had written a great article about the binary nature of the cards in the set, where they're either you know excellent or they're terrible, and it depends on if they're combined with another card or. In certain very common board situations, they're either the nuts or they're completely worthless. And Fetter Guys turned out to be that card. So I, I, I took the Fetter Guys, took, uh, took some peels, Fetter Guys, a couple other synergistic blue cards, the, the support stuff. I basically got Fetter Guys, uh, Smuggler, Fetter Guys, Smuggler, uh, Shieldmates, Alchemist. Yeah. I got like every, every kind of second tier blue card with no, Vanguard and no Raven to start abusing some of these synergies, mm-hmm. and uh, and that persisted. I didn't see I didn't see a Raven the whole draft. Uh, guy to my right wasn't blue. Conley was. Guy to the right wasn't in blue. So, and even Conley didn't end up playing blue. He ended up in a black white deck oh, in that right. second Excuse pod. Me. Excuse me. Yeah. So, so yeah, I ended up getting in blue, uh, getting a couple free stone rights early out of bad packs, uh, pack two, and that kind of dictated that I wanted to go some sort of blue-red aggro deck where hopefully getting a Mist Raven or such, uh, obviously that wasn't going to happen after a few picks, pack two, but getting in a Mist Raven pack three, 
ideally getting two Mist Ravens, but right, one is right. not going to happen uh, when you're just waiting on one pack. That would that would have really really tied the deck together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, didn't see that. Didn't have really good comes into play abilities or enters the battlefield abilities to abuse. But I had all the spells to, to abuse them. To abuse, so I, yeah. I ended up with a very a very bad deck where I hadn't. I hadn't taken these support spells over any good aggressive creatures. So I'd always taken the aggressive creature, but just given that a bunch of blue spells are not particularly aggressive, and you're blue red, I was uh, I was somewhere in between. And the Fettergeist just the draws weren't aggro enough. The Fettergeist hits the table, and it ends up just being a three four for three. And that, I that ties that ties up <laughs> that ties up your mana. Oh yeah, there like, was. Uh, I saw in game two on the the feature match against Ritzel where like I even thought, you know what, maybe he should just not pay so that he can have more lands to do stuff. Cause you were a little mana screwed. Like you weren't drawing lands. Yeah. And well, I, all I, my guys were, sorry. I, I don't know if, uh, how much was visible on the video. I haven't watched it. All my guys were just, you know, just garbage. I mean, I had, yeah. I was trying to set up a, a board where I could potentially, uh, cause I had a, a peel and I had some, um, uh, the flickers, the ghostly flickers. Yeah. That I could, uh, if I had the fifth land and I could have, I could pay for my 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 creatures on the board, my two creatures. I'd be able to set up a flicker where I could change around the first strikes. Mm, okay. And potentially have that save me a bit. Obviously, I had the the stone right on the table, so I wanted to be able to pump as well. But there could be a situation where I could, um, yeah, actually be able to swing in with the fatter geist again. And I had put the brakes on the geist because I recognized that I wasn't drawing lands. And this being said. Made a misplay. Should have just, you know, on the on the second turn, I had swung with uh, swung with the stone right. He chose not to block with his peddler that he had played. I should have just cycled away my fleeing distraction right then. But I'm on such a habit of trying to get value the last off of moment. It. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm about to miss a land drop, and I'm not cycling. And obviously, that's a mistake. And then uh, I'm not saying you made a play mistake in not paying for the Fettergeist. I was just like, as I was watching, I'm like you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he just lets this thing die to yeah. free up some mana or trades off one of his ground guys to free up some mana and but at the same time then you would have had to play more creatures anyway eventually like and his deck seemed very good like i don't know if with your deck you were going to beat what he like the draws that he had yeah. like with restoration angel and like all the other nonsense that he was playing like his deck mm -hmm. seemed very powerful and yours like you said seemed a little unfocused mm -hmm. um, it, it reminded me a lot of actually my draft deck from pod one that yeah, red green yeah. train wreck where like i had a lot of like the the good kind of mid-tier cards but like nothing to push it over the top like no uh no druids familiar no like big splashy rare like mm -hmm. and yeah like when you have a deck like that it's probably in this format it's good for about one match one out of three and yeah and that sucks that's what I yeah that's what happened to both of us so um yeah, you you played Reedsley, you lost to him. You yeah, had, you ended which up... is, I gotta I gotta emphasize this while we're on air. Don't go watch that match. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's not even it's, interesting. Uh, That's the problem with it. It's like you were never really in the games based upon mana yeah. screw or based upon like the cards that he had. Like, yeah, I was I was mainly looking at a bunch of spells that I couldn't cast, and I just could not I could not think of what draws I could possibly do to extricate myself from the situation, and it was like. Kind of like water torture, yeah. where he's just swinging in for a little bit, and he's still playing defensive, and I probably 
should just concede. <laughs> they, 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 they talked about it on the coverage, not necessarily that you should concede, but like basically admitting or pointing out the fact that Rietzel wasn't really trying to win as fast as possible. He was just trying to make sure that you couldn't win based upon like how your mana was tied up with the Fettergeist and just mm-hmm. bleeding you, you know? Yeah. Like you said, water torture, just like, there's no way I'm going to let this guy into this game. Like I'm not even going to let him trade off of it, let, trade off his creatures. Like exactly, exactly. Which, you know, I would have traded off my Fettergeist in a heartbeat if you want to trade it off. But of course he's, you know, He's, he's, a, he's a really good player. He's killing enough. half my land. Yeah, exactly. He sees yeah. that it's like it's stone raining you right then and there. Exactly. So um, I wasn't gonna. I definitely wasn't gonna be able to outplay him without him making a mistake, me having mana and being able to cast, being able to do some sort of flicker pump for strike combo, yeah. which would have been <clears throat> would have been pretty optimistic for me to draw, or not optimistic for me to have drawn a couple lands over the course of. A few turns, that would have that would have counted for a lot. But I didn't draw the lands. I did play poorly. I mean, I was I was definitely definitely sweating the pressure that I knew I was very much behind. That he had, you know, more guys or better guys, I should say, more lands, mana open all the time. It was it was a very very good chance that even if I if I drew those lands, that it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, that was that was unfortunate because that was the worst draft deck I've had in this format and probably in the last couple of years of my life. But uh and it there sucks. it was on video and I gotta Yeah. I, I, that. I actually have a kind of an abstract question about feature matches for you. Did, I mean did you feel well first of all, did you feel more pressure being on camera? Uh yeah, absolutely. Just cause I mean being here talking to you is a bit easier for me, but I generally like when, when I was playing poker back in the day, I always preferred being online, and if I can be, if I can be alone in a room with some music free from distractions, I know my mind works infinitely better. But okay, with the uh, yeah, with the uh, you know, just like a level of self consciousness that I have and a level of distractibility, the feature match was. I mean, I wouldn't have won if I if the plans played out all the same, but I think I would have. I wouldn't have made a few of the small mistakes I know I made on camera. This being my first feature match. So. Okay. Now, and, and just in general, like a question about playing against pros like Paul Rietzel, do you find that that makes you feel more pressure? Or do you feel like you played Conley Woods previously and that was not a feature match? Did you feel yeah. more pressure because you were playing against Conley than you would against some guy you didn't know? No, and, and that's the thing. But that could be uh, a compliment to Conley more than just a general statement about playing, playing pros. I mean, I've played... I played LSV before. I played Ocho before in real life. We're uh, we live pretty close to Superstars, and I know it's been mentioned before. Superstars being the the store associated with Channel Fireball. Yeah. So Greg and I and our friends, we we've, we've played these guys before at the store and in various turns they've had around there. So, yeah. So like the so playing playing pros is it's not a little demystified for us. It's not it's not so much of a like big deal, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stakes aside, like to say I feel pressure playing a pro. You know, we've all played pros at some point in time at these major events. Or, or even online. Like, I know we've drafted against LSV and whoever else before, too. So Of course. Of course. So, um, no more pressure. I knew I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get away with mistakes, as you might have been able to get away with mistakes against some other players that might give you a freebie, too. But when you're talking but, about what round you were in on day two of a GP, yeah, most was, of the players there are going to be strong enough to that point. Like, you, it's like whether you know who the your opponent is or not like whether he's a 
a famous magic player or just some very good magic player from Vancouver. Like, doesn't really matter because none of those people are giving up a lot necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now, I, here's here's where I wanted to kind of ask a more like abstract question about feature matches. Are you okay with the fact that there's always like one well-known player in the feature match? Because that that feels forced to me. Like I I don't think they always necessarily catch mm-hmm. the most interesting matches. Well, maybe not the most interesting matches because of uh, what the people drafted, but it's not an uninteresting match because there's a name and someone who's not. I think if you're branding a product and you're trying to market uh, celebrities, which is what's you know come with the advent of of course all this uh, the major event coverage, yeah, GG's with... live and all that stuff. Exactly, exactly. There's there's name recognition, and the people come to watch these names and follow that drama, just like anyone that's most people that are sports fans, you follow individual players as well as teams, and the individual players add something relatable, something you know human that you can touch upon, and they're the protagonists of the story of professional magic. Mm-hmm. Well, well, maybe they're not sure, quite as relatable. But, okay, but... so let me let me kind of rephrase. I'm going to argue that the people who choose who the feature matches are, I mean, they have access to all the deck lists. Mm-hmm. They could have looked at your deck list and at Paul Rietzel's deck list, and Probably could have figured out that eight times out of ten, Rietzel's going to stomp you. I think that's what they'd want to show, though. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're okay. That's fair. All right, so you're saying that that might have been their consideration. Well, yeah, and then just also at that point in time, uh, I think Rietzel and I had the same record, so it was feasible for him to win out and barely get in on breakers. I believe he could have gotten up to thirty. Was it thirty six? It's about thirty six. Right. Was thirty seven the cutoff? People split in after thirty six. Or no, 36. 36. 36 yeah, so you're saying that maybe they were trying to build a story there with Rietzel kind of cut, like yeah. winning out his last I mean, two rounds. I okay. could have won out and made the top eight. He could have won out. And there's, it's not like we were out of the tournament at that point, and we both won our first round of that draft. So Yeah, I don't know. I just From my perspective, I feel a little bothered by the fact that maybe if they would have looked at the deck list, they could have found someone else from your same pod in a very similar situation that had two decks that were a little more, I mean, not even necessarily better, but just like on a more even power level to the point where the matches would have been more interesting to watch because that was the one thing that bummed me out about watching your match after the fact. wasn't that like you lost. I mean, don't get me wrong, that sucks, but just that the games weren't even interesting. You know, it was like, it's like Ryan, Ryan is just behind a, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place in this match and like, it's just, like you said, it's like watching someone get tortured. And I was like, this isn't fun. Like, I don't, I don't care how big a fan you are of Paul Rietzel, and I have nothing yeah, against I that guy. That. It's, yeah. it's just like, it wasn't interesting magic to watch be played. And that's what bugs me. And I, I kind of, I'd like to see them kind of steer away from that. But at the same time, like, I understand what you're talking about. Like, they're trying to build a brand. They're trying to build up these players. And to be fair, like, even if, if you win that match, maybe they're trying to build you up for the top eight. So, I mean, or just that's a good story, too. Like, some no-name guy from California makes top eight, and uh, who knows? Maybe you win. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get that. But at the same time, like, there's more to it than just, like, the story of who wins the tournament or who makes top eight. It's also, like, when you're providing this coverage, like, what I really want to see is is our interesting matches and exciting matches. And the games you were playing on camera were not. Oh, no. No, not at all. They were uh, really exciting for Paul. Because <laughs> he was stopping the shit out of me. That must have been pretty fun. But so uh, like, yeah, I only have to win one more and I'm in. Yeah. Oh, well. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I can understand that. But then the question is, there's very few decks that maybe on paper 
look like it's going to be very exciting. Because you're saying that there's got to be staff there. So these are not the pros of the game that might be able to look at two deck lists and say this will be an interesting matchup. This will have to be, you know, who? Rich or uh, BDM or something like that. They're, they're looking at lists or one of the judges and they're deciding that this is an interesting deck and we want to see what it's going to play. And it, it, if the matchup is actually significant, then they want to see, you know, they want to see the interesting one, not necessarily the pro. But then again, when you get to the top levels and there's, you know, Paul is playing to get in, you got to find, in order for them to not want to put Paul or Connolly or one of the other pros that were, you know, still in contention for top eight, I feel like they would have to value name recognition and the branding that they've made on their game against what will be more interesting for the few people, or not the few people, but the people that are watching the live stream at the time. Mm-hmm. What's going to make for interesting viewing in the future. Okay. And uh, so you need to find both an interesting deck and people that are also in contention. And I feel like that's, there just weren't that many people in contention at that point in time, you know, last draft of the day before the top eight. So they they probably should have put Jeremy on air a lot more since his decks were batshit insane. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> the, the, yeah, that's the five rare specials deck. are, oh, wow. God. How does that even happen? <laughs> I don't know. It's, and it's like, I, I don't really get, <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how that happens. Like, you can only open three rares in one of these drafts because they take out foils. So someone had to pass, I think someone did pass him a Silver Blade Paladin, which I can understand, like, if it's pack two or pack three and the person opened, it's not white. Yeah, it's double white spell. Oh, man, that's just, it's damn lucky is what it is. And yeah. it's that's how you go XO through the Swiss. Yeah, he played and well. Through the, and through the good. day two, like, drafts. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, anyway, let's... I, I, I can't begrudge him that. He was a damn nice guy whenever no, I No, and, him, so. and he played very well. Like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, you can't you can't begrudge him at all. It's just like, man, that's... Some people have better guys than some... their deck is their best card. Some people have... <laughs> Five rares. <laughs> Five rares. Sometimes you run good. Uh, anyway, so... Lost against Rietzel in round two. I don't know. Do we talk about your round one match at all? Did uh, you win that no, one? No, yeah, I, I won my round one. Is Both drafts played out uh, the same way. So you won, won round one and then lost one, the next one round two. one, lost out. Was there anything interesting about that uh, that round? I guess, what was that? Yeah, round that was, that was actually 13? Yes, that was actually what my deck could beat, was a, a red-green or a green, a green fatty deck. So long as they don't have a very fast familiar draw, I was very good against the glut of five-drop green guys and six-drops, because I had Into the Void, and okay. oh, without a Mistraven to, uh, you know, go off with all of my bounce... I could have a decent aggro draw, and if someone has a, a slower draw and it was just playing big guy, big guy, if I had the Into the Void, those games were pretty much over. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened twice against him. Was, uh, there, it was Both games were won solely on the back of Into the Void. You actually, I think, saw one of them where I he had a uh, U-Spirit. Oh, yeah. Right? And, um, that was a good game. I mean, you that played was, that really well. Yeah, that was uh, in sharp contrast. To my last game I played against him, yeah. where, you know, Terrifying Presence was a card. So, yeah, tell yeah. us, let's talk more about that game state, because your opponent had a U-Spirit, and... A Borderland Ranger. And a Borderland and Ranger. Land. And, yeah, eight mana. So enough mana to activate the U-Spirit twice. So he might have even had nine land, but if he... No, he had just played his eighth that okay. turn. So if he if he gets in there... See, I feel like he had the ninth land, because I, I thought that Joint Assault was a possibility, or Snare the Skies. I could be wrong, but... Anyway, he had enough mana to yeah. activate the U-Spirit twice, but Positive not three eight, times. But okay, yeah, I yeah. buy it. Um, and you had... 
I was thinking of the possibility of jointing, pumping, playing a guy, which would have been fine as well. But right, the, the double pump on the U would have brought me down to one. one. Yeah, one life. And he swung in. You declared no blocks and said, hey, if you want to put me to one, that's going to happen. I had uh, I had some guys on waiting to swing in. Mm-hmm. I had uh, And I had Into the Void in the hand. And I was fine that if he used up his turn doing that, I bounce his ranger. Of course, you know, he gets a little value off the ranger, but I'm not worried about him getting his ninth but land. Also, the U spirit too, point. and this is way behind at that point because he has no board, right? Yeah, he, he has no board. I get a free swing. I had what was it, Geist, and was he paired with the Lancer or Lancer or the Stone Right? Wasn't it? I could. I, I yeah, can't remember oh, exactly. Was what this it was. the stone, That was the Stone Right, wasn't it? Where I had the the six island. Two mountains. Two mountains, yeah. Stone right nut draw. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he didn't pump at all. He plays more blockers. and you. But you still have Into the Void. Yeah, still have Into the Void. He plays another big guy, so Ranger doesn't become the target. Mm-hmm. But, th- I mean, that, that right there was enough to set you up for the win, because he didn't pump, didn't put you to one. He were at, like, so what, what would that have been? He would have been four and then eight. So you were at nine, he put you to six. And so then he plays another fatty, and on your turn, you into the void, the U spirit, and the second fatty, leaving him with just a borderland ranger. And you're able to get in there that turn, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was able to get in, and I was able to win in two. He ended up uh, not uh, blocking my guys. Uh, I had one guy on the ground, and he didn't block it, and that's why I'm trying to remember what it was. So it must have not been the Lancer, because he, ch- he elected not to block it, and I believe there was a trade in it with the. Uh, so it might have been a, a leftover Cathar. Okay. I want to say, yeah, it was probably the Cathar then. Uh, anyway, he didn't block it with his uh, his Ranger, so he let the Fettergeist uh, become lethal quicker, which turned out to be the wrong the wrong decision on his part. I think he should have blocked. He had enough guys out there that, not knowing exactly what he had in his hand, outside of two fatties. But at the same time, you made the correct play in not blocking his U-Spirit the previous turn. No, oh, absolutely. Knowing that it couldn't, it wasn't lethal that turn, but that willing to go to one, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I don't know. That's scary. Like regardless of who you're playing against, you know. Yeah, and he had, he was a red player, mm-hmm. so and yeah. I wasn't winning on the very next turn if he did this. So you know, if I did go to one, I pillar was, of flame, Kessig yeah, malcontents. There are a lot of cards there that plenty, can kill you. So. Plenty of cards, but I wasn't about to give up my two turn clock. And that was the only way that you saw that you could win that match or that game at least. So you kind of stuck with it. That, yeah. I remember watching that. That was a lot. Of, that was pretty cool. Yeah, sticking with plans for better or worse was kind of my theme. Sure. Yeah. Round three of that draft, Conley Woods again. Conley Woods, yeah. second time in what four rounds you had to play against that guy. Yeah, I got the. I got lucky. You, hey, he's yeah, a, he's a fun guy to play with. I mean, he's just as as jovial and gregarious as you would expect from watching his draft videos or having seen coverage with him before ever having met the guy. So yeah, that was, that was fun. And this makes me think about, you know, how you can't be intimidated to play pros. There's plenty of people out there that are very, very friendly, that are very, uh, uh, just light when they play the game. They play it, of course, very well because they're one of the best, but it's not, uh, the underlying theme of the match isn't some cutthroat, a miserable experience where you just want to you know, kill the other guy through <laughs> magic. He he want, clearly wants to win and clearly has the drive, but he can he he's can not, shoot the shit and make quips throughout the entire the entire draft. Well, he's not there match. to like hate on you or like shit on you as like some Cause, some cause some magic playing nerd. <laughs> well, yeah, some magic playing nerd. He's never 
heard of. You know what I mean? They're not well, they're not all like that. But yeah, yeah. Right? Just a. I mean, did he have anything to say about double uncanny speed when he when oh. he saw that you were his opponent again in round two or in the second draft? Yeah, yeah. I made some uh, some comments about red aggro because that's I had the turn one stone right <laughs> start out game one. So he's like, "Oh no, here he, we go he again." Knew what was about to happen? But yeah. and and uh, he had uh, he had homicide seclusion both games against my red blue deck, and there Which, was very I don't know how you beat that card in red blue. Like you yeah. have no way to remove it. You have like and like you said, you didn't really have a good top end. You just kind of had like a good middle tier of cards. Yeah. Like oh, it man. was kind of like it was kind of like your first deck where I yeah. had I had all the good second tier cards. And it was all it was a, a bunch of them. So I had you know enough dudes and enough spells where make, I could potentially work out something tricky. Makes I mean, the deck can, playable and allows you to like make weird tricky plays to outplay yeah. people. But at the same time, sometimes you run into certain cards that are so powerful that like. Can, How are you going to beat those? Yeah, on the seclusion, the whole idea was if I had peels and ghostlies, so he's not getting the life, and I can continue the continue the race, so mm-hmm. he can swing in and you know block flicker. He doesn't gain life. He doesn't do damage. That would be that would have been ideal. I didn't have those draws, but other, I mean, I wasn't going to kill his creature on the board. I wasn't going to get rid of homicidal seclusion. <laughs> That's for damn sure. So anyway, so you lose to Conley in the final round of the tournament. You end up at ten and five. Yeah, yeah, which is. Of course, disappointing after the first day. Knowing I could have, you know, knowing I could have played better, match three of the first draft. Knowing I could have built my deck better in the first draft, you know, and then just generally opening bad. But I can't, I, you know, I, you got to accept that. Sometimes and you can't complain about opening bad in the draft, especially when you open so well in the sealed exactly. portion. Like yeah. that's yeah, a whole I, different story. Yeah, it's likely I had. I mean, not just because of my record, but just because of how fucking sweet my deck was. It was probably one of the top ten decks in the tournament, I would guess. Yeah, and on day one, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Top ten pools, I mm-hmm. would say. So, yeah, I mean, so what place did you finish in? I ended up finishing 58th, so... Inside top 64. That yeah. means you get paid 200 bucks and you get a pro point. Exactly, exactly. And I think... Yeah, which is... Which, you know, I'm I'm stoked about. This is, uh... I've only been to, what, three GPs now? Well... And, Four, but one I couldn't play in. That's a <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other story. Oh man, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, that was. Uh, we won't get into that. But um, we we also talked about how this is kind of leading into Jeff and I talked about this yesterday. We talked about how this is leading into GP San Jose. Mm-hmm. Do you feel good about that? Do you feel like this was good experience? Like, are, are do you feel emboldened by it? Like, are you ready to? Are you ready for the next GP? Oh, are you kind of oh, burnt absolutely. out? Or absolutely. And I mean, I get to play with you. So I'm already feeling good about this. Um, yeah. I mean, we both had pretty good runs, and... I still get to play with you, right? I'm not cut. No, no. Nah, hey, man, you finished presents. higher than I do. I, <laughs> uh, am I cut? Shit. I didn't, I didn't get top 64. <laughs> yeah, Russell's cut. Yeah, Russell, <laughs> Russell, you're out. No, that was... No, I feel great about it. I mean, the first the first time I was thinking about San Diego was when I was talking to one of the opponents in round... Uh, San Jose, you mean? Seven. Yeah, San, San Jose. When I was talking to... My opponent round seven, and he talked about uh, the the tournaments he's gone to. We were both at Portland, and I believe he made it to San Diego as well. And he had asked if I, you know, so if I had a team for San Jose, and I said, yeah, I'm actually playing with. And this is when I'm in, I'm in seat one, and you're in seat four, four or yeah. something like that. I'm, I'm playing with that guy over there. Yeah, we were both so seven was, and zero at the time. Yeah, 
I was feeling pretty good about my team, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. No, um, I'm pretty excited too. I uh, I'm really looking forward to a different limited format. Oh, absolutely. Jesus! But uh, also looking forward to teams, team magic, yeah. like team sealed, team draft. Like this is stuff that I mean they haven't done on a sanctioned like high level like this in a really long time. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, absolutely, and I'm excited because I mean this is a uh, Come tooting your horn right here. Look, you are more thoughtful than most people, or everyone I play with, about <laughs> about deck construction. I'm glad that when we looked at each other's pools and we looked at our uh, the people we were staying with, our friends' pools, we came to the same conclusions, with the exclusion of maybe one card. On yeah, a few similar pools. conclusions. Uh, yeah, and that you have someone that you, uh, or I have someone on my team that I know I can have a good talk with, have a creative talk. And they can uh, they can back up their thoughts and can work out all the variables and all the possibilities, see the weaknesses in a deck, and can articulate their thoughts and yeah, you know, obviously be you know correct because you agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, actually, let's. I want to. I was going to start to wrap things up, but I kind of want to. You started talking about this. I want to get into a quick specific thing about. Uh, my second draft, that blue-black mm-hmm. deck I drafted. We laid out that deck after the tournament and talked about some of the card choices I made uh, with, like, only the only two drops I was playing were the two Butcher Ghouls, and I yeah. left the Crypt, Crypt Creeper and the 2-1 Artifact Creature Defender, the yeah. First Striker. I left that in my board as well in favor of Double Ghoul Flesh, and as Chef pointed out yesterday when I talked to him about it, he said he might have cut the Renegade Demon for one of those cards. Where do you fall on... I, I I feel like Russell made his opinion very clear, but I, I kind of wanted to hear what you thought about that deck and what cards you would have played in your 23. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I think the only debate on my end was whether or not you put in the Crypt Creeper, because you did have such a glut of removal. You had... You had Double a ghoul wonderful, flesh, wonderful amount of removal. triple death wind, uh, double mist raven into the void, barter and blood, and I might be forgetting something else. Yeah, so maybe if you just wanted to have you know, one creature, where sometimes you can have getting some early swings, and you didn't have to blow a removal spell on it. But like with the double butcher ghoul, double ghoul flesh, it feels like the early game was taken care of. I definitely wouldn't have cut a renegade demon, although your top end had enough good cards in it, where or enough threats, I should say, the demon was going to land in all your games. And all your games, I know, went to that... went late. Went yeah, well I was be, playing well for the long game. turn 7-8, right? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I, But yeah, I, I guess my question is, is if you wanted to get the Crypt Creeper in there, what would you cut? And I just pulled up the deck list. So, I mean, we well, talked about I don't, cutting I, a Ghoul Flesh. That's what Russell thought I should cut. Uh, Jeff thought I should cut the Renegade Demon, and I don't know. I just think that this list is. I think it's. I, pretty I like tight it as, as it, is. it is. Like, and that was all right. I so, personally like it as it is, and I don't know if people are going to have it. You have it posted on uh, East West, yeah. Yeah, this is on our website, uh, eastwestdraftcast.com. So if you cool. want to take a look at it and maybe chime in and say like, because I left the all the relevant sideboard cards I kind of put on there, including a, a Conjurer's Closet. Which I did think about, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. I had Double Mist Raven and a Griff Vanguard and three Undying Guys, which, I mean, sending those into the Conjuring Closet isn't always the worst yeah, thing Yeah, I could, I could see the Conjuring Closet going in. And but, I, I just don't think... 
depending, uh, maybe in like the most extreme of matchups, you want to have another two drop in there. You're going to get to the late game mm-hmm. pretty easily. That two drop is probably not going to get in for too much damage. And you also, I don't think we're wanting to blow removal to get in damage early no. on with your two one. That's not what you're trying to do. I, you're just I, trying to set up your late game. I talked to Jeff about this too. Like a lot of advantage. what I wanted to do with my removal was pick off the smaller creatures in the early game, like pick off the two ones and the three ones. With the ghoul fleshes and even with death winds, just so that when they did play out bigger creatures, I'd be able to utilize the barter and blood and really blow people out. Like yeah. get get quality creatures sacrificed to a barter and blood, as opposed to people sacking their somber wall vigilantes and their yeah. whatever else you want and to talk you have about. To spend more money on the the win for money, more money, more money <laughs> on the win later. Yeah. Which is yeah, that's clear that people you do that when you have barter and you know you're gonna play it, but so. All right, yeah, I just wanted you to echo my sentiments and pat me on the back for, at least in your own thinking, thinking that I built this deck correctly, because I, I, I think I did. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty satisfied with the list I turned in. I'm not going to say that I shouldn't have been sideboarding out certain cards, yeah. like maybe the Hovengul Scab. Like, if I ran into a really aggressive deck, it's possible I would have cut the Scab and put in one of the two drops, but the three matches I played never got to that point. Um, the first match I played was very cut and dry. My opponent was short on land both games, and I stomped him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in round two, I was very close to winning, uh, and we, we talked about that yesterday, like just the fact that I had many turns to rip a variety of cards yeah. to win that, and it just didn't happen. Um, and then in the third game, or in the third match against Cunningham, just not not having it, you know? Mm-hmm. But it didn't have to do with the fact that I didn't have a two-drop, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm not. I don't want to be too results oriented in that. But at the same time, like looking at the deck and looking at the deck's kind of plan of just going to the late game. Like I don't think a two one for two is really that important to what this deck wanted. To yeah, do. especially when you have double butcher ghouls, but you're not trying to abuse them with corpse connoisseurs. No, or, they are just roadblocks, blood, speed uh, bumps, blood flow connoisseurs. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the latch seeker, you're not. Terribly, you're not aggressive in really any way. I mean, the guys I would consider in your deck is, you know, of course, it's too, uh, it's too power evasive, dude. So it's oh, the searchlight geist or searchlight geist. Yeah, yeah. So it has a chance to get in for damage, but otherwise, my even you my just didn't have anything aggressive right. to do. So that chance that you have the two one, and you, the chance that you have it and get to play it on turn two, doesn't seem like that's enough of an incentive, especially not if you're talking about cutting the late game guys that you know you're going to get to, you know mm-hmm. you're going to be able to play, given your removal, and will potentially finish. Or or cutting one of the ghoul fleshes that's going to help you get to that point. Yeah. And that was that was my thought process. But um, I would yeah. rather have the ghoul flesh to deal with their stone right, their smuggler, or, their latch seeker. God forbid they have a, a somberwald sage or an uvenwald tracker. Like, they're not going to be attacking with those and offering to trade with your 2-1 on those yeah. cards. Like, you need something proactive to kill those. Or, or I guess something... Reactive. I don't know what the right yeah. word I'm looking for is here, but tra- like trading with creatures like that isn't an option, whereas ghoul fleshing them is. So that was that had, yeah. had a lot to do with how I constructed the deck. Yeah, completely with you. It's funny you talk about searchlight geist because I specifically remember that I had to choose between searchlight geist and the two three uh, snap skin Drake for this deck, and I do think that. I mean, I basically chose the Geist because, one, I wanted to take the black card to make my Evernight Shade better, but also because I wanted to be able to block things on the ground. Like, I wanted to be able to block with this deck, and it's particularly in the, the Geist case, trade with trade up with the Death Touch ability, if necessary. So, so I'm wondering, 
it seems like the getting to the late game was easy for you. Is there a, a thought to cutting a flicker, one of your ghostly flickers, for the closet, or is the closet just too slow? Where the closet, the closet, you know, buys you a card a turn, and over the course of you know, multiple mist ravens or something like that, you will you'll have the game pretty locked down. But while the ghostly flicker is reactionary, you can save a guy, lets you outplay your opponents. That's that's a maybe, good question. Maybe better for you, but it seems like the late game is going to be very easy to get to. That actually setting up some sort of lock, well, very soft lock, mm-hmm. with the uh, with ravens in the uh, the closet might have been might have been better. And looking at it, because outside of the ravens, you have to vanguard just to net a card a turn. Or reset some undying guys. Maybe, yeah, maybe if you had a blood flow connoisseur, another piece to really mean that resetting undying guys was considerably better. Mm-hmm. Some reason to have a sack outlet. Like maybe you have a, maybe not a bone splinters. I don't think the the one time punch would be enough. But yeah, if you had a blood flow like that, and then every turn you were being able to reset and pump a guy. Yeah, it's it an inter- not interesting worst. question. I also didn't want to play the closet for like mana considerations because I was really heavy at the four drop spot and I had uh four cards at five and six mana. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you might be correct. My thought on the the closet was just that it wasn't reactionary. Like I couldn't necessarily save a guy from removal with it. Mm-hmm. Um and the fact that you spend a whole turn, basically you spend five mana to do nothing for that turn, unless you already have the Raven, the out. Raven or the Griff Vanguard on board. Yeah, um, and it's it's turn five, and in all likelihood you're flickering turn four, turn five, turn five but later. Yeah. Right? So you know, mana considerations. Although you can't cast it earlier, and the flicker looks cheaper. I just don't really ever flicker on turn three. I don't know what sure. draws I would have to have. Well, yeah, and you want you, to do that. The advantage of the closet is you don't have to leave mana open like you would with the flicker. So, I mean, that might be correct. I might have blown it on that. But sometimes and, it just does nothing. And maybe you just don't have enough enter the battlefield triggers to make that worthwhile. And that was kind of... Giving was, a guy vigilance. Like, I don't know if that would have been worthwhile just with your your shade, which was, in the games I saw, was beating in a couple times over. Mm-hmm. And you're getting the a decent portion of the pump on it. You could have left a couple mana back. Or not worried about it and just had him, you know, had him be a chump blocker on the next turn. You get in for the full amount, he flickers, comes in, you chump block, he's got a counter on it, so he swings in for more the next turn, and then you flicker him. Yeah. So. No, it's fair. It's a good question. I don't really know if I if I have the answer, to be honest with you. I don't know what's correct there. So, yeah, Let's maybe. Let's ask Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you, did you trade phone numbers or something? That is like. No, nah, he's nah, got a girlfriend. I just. I just <laughs> <laughs> I was messing with you. Uh, anyway, I think that's all I got. Is there anything else you want to bring up as far as the GP goes? Uh, get yourself three buys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell I mean, me about you, it. You know, we're not pros. We play it seriously enough, but it's not our it's not our everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any ability to hit some trials and get yourself three buys, it's, it's really a rich gets richer sort of thing, where those three buys are worth Well, the, the real so advantage of it... Is that they're free. Like, you don't have to work for those wins. And to make day two, you only have to go four and two instead of seven and two, like, over the course of the day. Like, and, yeah, if you are if you need to get, catch up on sleep, if you traveled the day before, mm-hmm. you can do the early bird special, pay, what is it, like, 20 bucks or something like that? Yeah. To have them register your deck for you? Why not? You know, like, it's it's super helpful and definitely 
a very powerful tool for the pros. Like, there's a reason that the pros consistently make day two, and that's one of them. I mean, yeah. on top of the fact that they're very good players, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you're playing a trial, it might be reasonable to assume that you're playing against players that are going to be on par worse than other players that you might face in the GP when you need to get you need to get those three extra wins. Maybe not in the you know the opening rounds where the talent pool is a little diluted. But mm-hmm. I would rather have I would rather have my three wins already taken care of playing against lesser opponents in uh an easier tournament. Well and than have it be at the main event. And we, just just the mental yeah, the mental fatigue that sets in after having to sit for ten hours at a time and play a difficult game. We we talked about this in reference to Russell's uh, card pool as well. Like sometimes if you'll you'll open up your sealed deck and you'll see just kind of a mediocre pool, like and it's it doesn't look like the deck that you opened or the deck that I opened, which is just kind of like a deck that's going to carry you. Mm-hmm. Like for a pool like that, like the pool that Russell had, that black white kind of moderately aggressive deck, it would have helped him a lot to only have to have those three buys because then he he would have only had to win four out of six matches instead of, like, to make day two. Like, it affords you a little bit more kind of wiggle room to, to get in there with a worse card pool, mm-hmm. um, and which is important in a sealed deck because that dictates a lot of how you're going to do on day one. Like, I I never want to say that a, a card pool is unplayable and that, like, there's a deck is just can't make day two, but it's definitely a lot more helpful if you only have to go four and two to get there as opposed to seven and two. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Like some de- some decks aren't really built to go seven and two, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, and you're going to be playing, you're going to be playing tougher decks, of course, later on in the tournament, or be- better players, tougher decks when you're doing well and trying to get those last few rounds out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just uh, there's a consideration, I guess, there where maybe you can, if you already know that you have three buys, and depending on what the tournament or the format is like. You can assume that you're going to face a style of deck more so. If you're going to face, let's say, just more green-blue, you can slant your build knowing that some of the earlier rounds have been taken out towards facing what you think will be the better deck, the more prominent deck. Try and uh, metagame the, the system rounds. a little exactly. bit. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. So, I mean, this isn't groundbreaking to say go get buys, but if you have the ability to go and get it, play some good magic. Play against people that are, you know, by and large probably better than your, your local FNM, but... Worse than the, yeah, worse than the pros you're gonna see at the GP. Yeah, um, at the very least, it's practice for the format you're gonna play in. That actually, you brought up kind of something else that made me think of one other question I wanted to ask you, and that's as far as when we draft. Typically, we draft with the same group of players on Tuesday nights at our just mm-hmm. our local draft. Uh, we do this weekly. I mean, we also play online in eight fours and in Swiss queues and all that stuff, but. As far as being prepared for a tournament as big and as competitive as a Grand Prix, do you think that the way we draft on Tuesdays is disadvantageous, or at least like not preparatory enough? I, w- I wouldn't say it's it, it, it like set me back any to play against the same players and see the same decks because there's Magic Online, but it doesn't it doesn't cover in in our small group alone in as few times as we drafted this terrible format there was I, I, I'd never been blown out by terrifying presence like okay. I knew it existed and it seemed to have been used well but not just outright win the game with like the perfect bog 
against the lethal damage, eating a guy, winning on the next turn. I mean, the that that is the ideal, right? For Fog, you know, unless you're just turbo milling him or some bullshit like sure, that. Fog yeah. is usually just best Bad. when you're in a, in a race and you've prevented their win and you win on the next turn. You prevent their alpha. And that's exactly what he did to me. So yeah. maybe if I'd had that happen to me before, or I'm sure if I'd had that happen to me before, I would have been more conscious of it in the moment. More cognizant of that card being a possibility. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I mean, Magic Online is the best place to go to because you're going to play against all all sorts of players. You get in the 8-4 cues, you're going to be playing with the best players. Presumably. Yeah. All right. And, and then you're not... Your experience and your card evaluation isn't limited by your local meta. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you only draft that way, like, if you're the type of player who only drafts once a week at your local shop, mm-hmm. whether it be at F&M or some other night, I think that's a bit of a disadvantage for something like this, where you're going to see a more diverse field of players and a more diverse field of decks. Yeah. And cards being played in those decks. Like terrifying presence, like the uncanny speeds. Like exactly, I don't know if I've ever played against uncanny speed before, and I saw you play it at the GP. So I've, yeah, I saw you beat Conley Woods with it. I didn't see you, but I heard about it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll hear about Sam, that Sam Black's. <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah. That's I mean that's probably the most redeeming story of that that weekend. Maybe that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean in this format, I think it's on me to not have the experience to not speak in such general terms because like ninety percent of the cards are unplayable anyway, so probably should have just played Terrifying Presence for the shit of it at some point in time. You yeah. got more experience with the card. Yeah, I, I just... I'm kind of trying to put a... I don't know, like a... Not a warning, but like... Just a note out there to people who may be listening to this podcast and draft only once a week or maybe twice a week, but always with the same people. Like, mm-hmm. it's good to kind of broaden your horizons and play against some other people and play against more competitive people sometimes. Like... That was one thing that kind of threw me off about the drafts on day two was that you don't get away with anything. You don't get any gifts in the draft, really, unless you're yeah. playing black because no one wants to play black in this format. But at the same time, like, knowing that, like, I don't know, just understanding things like that because you've played more and with other people and maybe you played online, etc., you're going to go in with a better understanding of the format and a better understanding of uh, what cards you need to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Just uh, I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I thought that that uh, was that was one of the big takeaways for me from the weekend was that I should probably play online more because cards like Terrifying Presence, cards like Narstad Scrapper. I mean, not that you really need to prepare for Narstad Scrapper. Like you don't need to know that that card exists to be able to play against it. But seeing people with these different strategies and different cards was kind of eye opening for me because the people I play against don't play these cards, and I could have been more more prepared for the event, and I wasn't. So. Yeah, and I could have too. I think that's uh, that's on both of us, but our lives don't necessarily lend themselves to, well, make our lives do. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we could probably play a lot more Magic, but... We choose not to, but it, this, I, I'm not necessarily saying I need to play more Magic. I think I just need to kind of play more online or, mm-hmm. or maybe play more over at Superstars against some different players, yeah. but yeah. just to kind of spread things out a little bit more and, and gets, get more feedback, essentially. Like, you get more information, you make more well-informed decisions. So, anyway, I think with that, I want to wrap it up. Sounds good. Uh, you have been listening to East West Draftcast. My guest has been Ryan Hogan, and uh, this podcast will be going up pretty much immediately after the podcast we posted with, where I recorded with Jeff yesterday. But 
yeah, thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for me or Jeff or for Ryan, you can uh, send an email to the East West Draftcast email account, which is eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at EWDraftcast. Jeff is at Jeff EWDC. Ryan, you don't do Twitter, do you? I do not. Okay. You can also look us up on Facebook. Uh, and I feel like I'm forgetting something. But I don't know what that is. Oh, the website, eastwestdraftcast.com. So come check out the deck list that I posted on there. Um, Ryan, if you're interested, we could post yours too, but I don't know if that's really that constructive at this point. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody, and until next time, I'm mad! I'm mad!